and welcome to episode 14 of Miss Your So British podcast, written and read by me, Ian Moore. I'm a stand-up comedian, a best-selling author. I also live in France, where I run a B&B. Uh, this podcast is about um, getting old, maybe, growing pains, or getting old, maybe shrinking pains, if it's getting old. There's a lot of shrinking pains going on. But this episode is specifically about the fine art of dog training, a subject which everybody thinks they know something about, but very few people do. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Here we go, episode 14, Barking Mad. So, have you got any plans for the weekend? I was standing with James, a photographer friend of mine, at an awards event I was hosting, and we were in that awkward pre-show limbo, just wanting the thing to start, really. Well, yes, I have, I replied. A dog behaviourist is coming to stay. She's going to help us out with the puppy. Oh, really? That sounds fun. What puppy have you got? We've got an English setter. James went pale and seemed to be choosing his next words very carefully. Fuck, he said. Good luck with that. My knowledge of English setters prior to Kipper's arrival was sketchy at best. Well, non-existent, really. But what I've learned since is that they strike fear into hearts of even the most ardent dog lovers, as though they're completely ungovernable, a hellhound, in fact. English setters have the same reputation that precedes a hurricane. It's inevitable, there will be damage, and all you can do is batten down the hatches and hope. Natalie, the dog trainer, she has the same name as my wife Natalie, and the same batty, animal-obsessed kindred spirit as my wife Natalie as well, thinks differently. We'll call her Natalie too, as in the number two, not not two as in as well. Now I'm getting confused. Anyway, Natalie too had rescued an English setter herself, and so she's an expert on their foibles and instincts, their energy, their sensitivity, and their sheer rampant joie de vivre laden do lalitatory. You must be a very patient person, I said to Natalie too, acutely aware of my own failings in that regard. It's important, she replied seriously. My own dog took years to train. Now, I must have blanched at the prospect, so she added quickly, I can see, though, that Kipper is very intelligent. Kipper still had a shiny mouth after chewing Morris's lip balm earlier that evening. She spoke to him in French, and I spoke to him in English. You see, she smiled, very intelligent. He's more bilingual than I am, I joked, breaking her dog passion for an instant and making her laugh. Show off, Terence murmured at my side, making sure you got a laugh in early, I see. Watch it, kid, I whispered or I'll find a behaviourist for you too. Kipper has been to some dog training already, and he behaves fairly well there, but he's a sensitive soul and easily intimidated by other more aggressive dogs. The problem I had with these previous training sessions, though, was the method. It was too lax. I'm no expert, of course, but don't raise your voice, be always gentle, not firm, and give treats even if they've swallowed their own lead isn't going to instill the kind of discipline we need for Kipper, especially if we want him to have free reign around the B&B guests. That kind of laissez-faire approach to authority is the kind of parenting that produces brat kids whose parents claim to be advocates of self-expression, while their offspring jump up and down on public transport seating and other passengers mutter darkly about national service or chimneys. He needs order and he needs boundaries. Natalie, too, snapped over dinner as Kipper bounced from one sofa to the next, scenting cat. She wasn't joking. She came for Kipper at 9am, brandishing a choke chain so heavy-duty it looked like it had once been attached to a ship's anchor. Do you have one of these? She was in business mode. No, I said, feeling like I'd already let Kipper down. We have a harness. And does it work? No, 
Of course it doesn't, she spat. It's alamud. It's fashion. She put the chain around Kipper's neck like some penitential bling, and I swear the thing just looked at me like a pleading John Turturro in Miller's Crossing. Look into your heart, he was saying. Look into your heart. I tried to avoid watching any of Kipper's three-and-a-half-hour intensive first session. I occasionally glanced out of the window as he was walked endlessly up and down the garden, a tight grip on the chain here, a treat there. I'm not soft, and I know that dogs need training properly for their own benefit, but I am awfully squeamish too. I'm a fan of discipline. I just find it a hard watch, that's all. Honestly, I'd be rubbish at S&M. Natalie won, that's my wife, and I had nearly fallen out over the subject of Kipper's training. She's a bit squeamish about these things too, but it was I who insisted that Kipper have proper schooling and not that hippie effort he had been having, all Californian don't-raise-your-voice stuff that was obviously having no effect. Natalie one thought I was looking for excuses to get rid of him, when nothing could have been further from the truth. But, I explained, we run a business here. We can't have him jumping up at guests, knocking their kids flying. TripAdvisor takes a dim view of animal-led molestation, no matter how well-intentioned, and if we let that happen, it's our fault, not the dog's. So Natalie too was booked, and within hours I had two Natalies in my life, both highlighting my inadequacies. No, 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 Jan, Natalie too said disappointedly. You must be firmer. Opie, she snapped. It means heel. Opie, opie, I whimpered, as Kipper looked up at his master for stronger direction. In three hours she'd had Kipper virtually walking to heel and trotting at her side like a police dog on parade, but my natural timidity in my second language was undoing all of that good work and Kipper was back in husky mode, pulling at the lead. I eventually got my au-pieds to an acceptable level of volume and dominance and Natalie too declared lunch, striding off like a cricket umpire. Natalie one wouldn't be joining Natalie two and me for lunch as she had a meeting and so this was the part of the first day that I'd really been dreading. I don't know how many times I have to make this clear, I don't do society, I don't do small talk, but fortunately when you have a fanatic in the room, conversation lulls are rare. The only thing Natalie too was coy about was about how many cats she had at home. Now either this was because she'd lost count, or that even she, self-confessed animal wacko that she is, knew it would be a figure bordering on insanity, so I didn't push it. We've only got the three, I said gratefully, noticing Minu sitting on the stairs, giving me her usual condescending stare. That cat hates me. She winds all the other animals up, spits like a footballer, and arches her back at me if I so much as come within five metres of the feline Medusa. Natalie, too, as these people do, noticed our standoff. You know what Minu's problem is, Jan? Minu curled herself around her legs like the quizzling she is. Yes, I do, I answered. I do know what Minu's problem is. She's fucking mental. Unsurprisingly, I wasn't required for the afternoon kipper session, which is probably just as well. Anyway, I had to pack. I was leaving early the next day for a gig in London. The Natalies would be left to their own devices for 36 hours, and I was not a little concerned at the prospect. I had the sneaking suspicion that on my return, Kipper would be like a raw army recruit, stiff-backed and constantly standing to attention, that we'd have rescued 400 cats, and that I wouldn't be greeted with warmth on my return, but with an pied and a choke chain. Ah well, some people pay good money for that, I suppose. We certainly were. I approached the gate nervously. 
I was still in my black tie suit after hosting the British Casino Awards in London the night before and was wary of Kipper's warm welcome, which usually involves a certain amount of leaping and slobbering. I'd only just had the suit dry clean, so the last thing it needed was a kippering. I opened the gate quietly and, hearing his paws racing towards me across the gravel, held my suitcase in front of me like a shield and braced myself. He came tearing towards me, barely stopped in greeting, and went herring off into the bushes. I have to admit I was slightly disappointed. I don't know what I'd expected. I mean, I'd only been away one day. I should have been grateful that he didn't jump up at me. But after seeing the progress the dog trainer had made with him on the first day of schooling, I think I'd half expected him to be sitting by the gate, waiting for me, a white butler's cloth over one paw, and murmuring, Can I take your kid, sir? Not to be virtually ignored as he went lolloping by, his tongue hanging out and his ears flapping. Then Gigi went tearing by as well, yapping after the disappearing kipper. I hadn't seen her running around like that in nearly a year, not since Toby had died, and she'd begun what we feared was a terminal period of mourning. It's true she'd lost weight recently, we'd put her on a diet after a B&B guest had likened her to a footstool, and she'd got a bit of her old cheeky sparkle back too. But to see her playing with Kipper was progress beyond expectation. It looked like enormous strides had been made on the dog behaviour front then, and I was grateful for that. I'd been up since 4am so that I could get the first Eurostar out of London, and seeing that the dogs certainly weren't going to need my attention for the foreseeable, my plans for the day would involve no more than dozing on the sofa while the snooker played out gently on the television. In truth, I was banking on that. I was exhausted, in pain, and not up for a training session. Jan, you're home. That's good. Natalie, too, was at the door. I hadn't even had a chance to get changed yet. I think your wife will be home soon as well. Then we can begin. I blinked at her. The dogs went flying past. At two o'clock, she said. Très bien, I croaked. Très bloody bien. It was a lovely day for it, there's no denying that. A crisp, late winter, early spring afternoon with hazy sunshine. The kind of day that rekindles the optimism fire a bit. Well, it does if you haven't been up since four o'clock anyway. I wasn't able to join the start of the afternoon training session, not because I was given time to have a rest. My eyes, even to the briefest glance, were now deep wells of torture and lament. Somebody should have noticed that. But because I had to take Terence to football training. Once I had done that, I was then expected to roam the nearby countryside, looking for the two Natalies, and take up my position as, laughably, master. I cursed the good weather as I did so, my argument being that if it had been pouring down, proceedings might have been cancelled. It took me 25 minutes to locate them, and Gigi was still running around, which was heartening. But Kipper had a horse's training rope attached to his collar, and at the end of the 10-metre rope was a big, heavy stick, practically a log. It stops him running into the bushes, and also it feels a bit like there's somebody holding his lead, Natalie one said quietly, and then shouted, Opie! at Kipper. It reminded me of Usain Bolt when he trains with a car tyre attached in a similar way, or a boxer in training. I started humming Eye of the Tiger as Kipper went running past, and then got knocked over as the stick smacked into my shins. What time do you have to pick Terence up? Natalie one asked. It was time to go already. I'd only been there a few minutes. I'd, in fact, I'd actually changed my mind about the whole thing and wanted to stay. I wanted to see what Kipper would be asked to do next. Running up the steps of the town hall, perhaps. Taking a medicine ball hit to the stomach. Sparring with Gigi. But no, the master had his chores to do. And I missed all the fun. Those who've read my second book, 
will know about the history I have with one of the neighbouring farmers. In short, he threatened to shoot my children. He threatened to shoot them if they ever stepped foot on his land. He's a real charmer. So it's fair to say relations are somewhat strained between us. He sold his farm recently though, retaining a few acres for hunting, but our house no longer buttresses his fields, and that's a relief. So what right the toxic old bastard has to drive around like he still owns the bloody place is beyond me. I'd seen him while I was looking for the Natalies, but thought nothing of it, assuming that now he was a diminished force. I was wrong. I don't know if he waited for me to disappear, I doubt it would have made any difference to him, but he approached the group on their way back. The warning was a clear one. No threats this time, but a very French get off my land. It obviously soured the last afternoon of Kipper's training, and Natalie too couldn't believe the rudeness of the man, while Natalie 1 and I were unsurprised. Hunters in France, les chasseurs, behave as if they're above the law. They trample over other people's land, they disregard the rules involved in hunting near people's houses, and they're also, it seems, utterly untouchable. It's not dogs that need behaviour lessons, it's people. I'd like to tie a logged-up rope around the man myself and then watch him run around for a bit. Kipper didn't mind, though, neither did Gigi, and they fell asleep together, and for once on the floor, and not on a sofa. Natalie, too, left the next morning, hugging all the animals, especially Kipper, who, despite some firm treatment, was completely smitten by her. He sat by my side as she walked to the gate. Pas bouger, I said, don't move. And he didn't. Au pied, I commanded, walking back indoors, and he did so, trotting at my side. Then he saw a cat on the stairs, and started racing around the room, bouncing from sofa to sofa, barking as he did so. Kipper, I shouted, au pied, pas bouger. He ignored me. Bloody OPE! Pop fucking bougie dog! It was useless. He didn't listen to a word I said. I slumped on the sofa. I turned on the snooker. Plus ça change. Thanks very much for listening to this Monsieur So British podcast, episode 14. If you'd like any information on my gigs, my books, or the B&B, please go to my website, which is www.ianmore.info, and I'll speak to you next time.